Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Welcome to the Just Schools podcast again. This is a great interview with Jamie Corson, who is a high school teacher in Texas, who's doing the really hard work of serving students, serving each student well. She has a great heart for kids, but she had reached a point of real burnout. Uh, She was empty. She was on empty. And we met this summer through work at Baylor. And to see the change in her and the encouragement that she is to others and the way she's helping students move from seeing school as irrelevant to something valuable is real. And so she, like many other educators, came into education, not because that's where she thought she was going to land, but that's where she has landed. And in the amazing turn that often happens with educators, what she thought she was going to be did not occur, but she became an educator. And now she's producing students who have more than replaced what she could have done in other fields. Because again, in the profession that makes all of this possible, Jamie's work is truly transformational in the lives of students. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jamie. Today, we are here with Jamie Corson, who is an amazing educator at my own kids' high school, and she's part of our Baylor master's program in school leadership. So it's been a real privilege to get to know Jamie. And so as we usually open up with educators, tell us a little bit about what brought you into education. Why did you start into this amazing profession? And then we'll talk about how you ended up at Baylor in our program. Well, it's a funny story. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, As most educators, I feel like start off down that path. Um, And God said no. And so I I started college and I was just really lost. Um, And I really wanted to go into missions. And I thought that I was going to go into medical school and then I was going to do like being a travel doctor. Um, And I kept waiting for my call into missions and God never called me into missions. And then I said, you know what, I'll just, I'll just keep doing pre-med and I'll, I'm going to do what I do and wait for my call. And that call never came and pre-med did not work out. And so to get out of college as quickly as I could, um, I asked my advisor, what can I do? And she said, well, you could do education. Um, (laughs) and I said, all right. That's inspirational, Jamie. (laughs) So there I was, um, And my first year teaching, I I really have always loved coaching. And so I was like, well, I can coach this way. Um, And so I got a job as a soccer coach and a teacher and absolutely loved it. Like my first year, I was just all in. That's good. Um, And in the meantime, you know, just duked it out with God and was like, hey, man, why didn't you call me into missions? And he was like, you silly girl. I did. Yes. Oh, well said. Well said. So. You have been in education for how many years now? I am on year 22. That's amazing. And you came into our master's in school leadership 
maybe a little bit being dragged in by some colleagues that said, you really need to do this. And so, again, this is not a unabashed promotion of the program, but I think there's an interesting story here that's going around about a lot of educators right now who feel pretty beaten down by a profession that's become pretty hard in a lot of ways. And so you started a advanced degree and I know it when we were recruiting, you weren't, you weren't exactly sure if this was the right fit or if this was the right next step, but uh, why did you end up in an advanced degree program to become an even better school leader? Um, kicking and screaming was what you were looking for. <laughs> kicking, <laughs> there kicking you and go. Okay. I was just worn out. I was worn out. I was um, an emotional wreck. I, would drive up to to school every day and just sit in the parking lot and cry and just know that I couldn't do it one more day. Um, It wasn't fun anymore. I didn't really have any joy in what I was doing. I still loved my students, but I was just, my cup was empty and I just knew that I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. I couldn't keep going down the path that I was going down. Um, And then one of the cohort two members, Crystal Moose said, just look, just go to the meeting. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree to it. Just just go to the meeting. So I did. And every prayer that I had been praying for the past five years was answered in that meeting. And, you know, reservation. I was like, you know what? I can't. That's great, God, that you want me to do this, but you're going to have to show me the money. Um, and then you did your spiel and you told us exactly how much it would cost. And I was still like, God, absolutely not. I don't want to be an administrator. This is not something that I would like to do. I'm, I'm trying to find my joy, not not going to a profession that um, is even t- harder than teaching. And I'm not kidding. The The day after I decided like, all right, I'm just going to apply and and I might not get in. I might. My dad wrote me a check without me knowing or without him knowing that I was going to do this program. He wrote me a check for the exact amount of money Oh wow! that I needed for the program. And I said, all right, God. So God opened that door and, and literally huh. shoved me through it. Wow. I did not know that story, Jamie. That's that's amazing. Uh, God works in amazingly mysterious ways. So as you have entered into this broader conversation with in your cohort, I think we've got 14 states represented from the leaders, three different countries. You're talking to people in independent schools and public schools all different kinds of positions. Where have you seen life being breathed back into what you're doing? Cause you seem like a fundamentally different person. You're, the joy, the, the encouragement you are to others. I can't imagine the Jamie that was pulling into the parking lot and crying and just mm-hmm. kind of emptied out because you're very honest and vulnerable about where you're at. But I see so much, joy and honest encouragement that's the gritty optimism that comes with veteran educators that have seen kids do things that they didn't think they could do that the kid didn't think they could do and i see that in you so what what's shifted from last year jamie to this year jamie i feel like part of it is you know just the encouragement that i feel like as educators we and teachers in particular well and, and administrators do the same thing but we get isolated in what we're doing. Um, we go to our classroom, we do our work, we stay late, but our doors are shut because we're just trying to grind it out. And we don't have a lot of community. And I think that's what teachers are missing. We're missing the fellowship. We're missing the community. 
Um, and sometimes like in professional learning communities, like it's there for some teachers, but I feel like in public education in particular, a lot of times it's forced. And so teachers aren't there willingly. And so for me, it was the community, um, of one fellow educators and two fellow believers just really saying you're not alone in the things that you're struggling with you're not the only one that feels like this but if we rally around each other and we really constantly remind each other why we're doing this and what the eternal goal is then it makes it it helps remind you of what the joy of education is and what that looks like for all of us. Right. So you said you hadn't lost your love for students, even when you were somewhat in despair last year, you still had that love for students. But if you don't have people around you that are helping point you as professional colleagues toward the the bigger mission of what we do, the hope that's there, even when things look pretty bleak at times, it's really difficult to maintain that over time when you're isolated and alone because it's almost like you're being starved of that professional piece. And again, is what I love about what we get to do at Baylor. One of the things that we're struggling with right now in Texas and maybe a lot of other states as well, I think the research says that, we're having a hard time even finding subs so that you can get people to things, compensation's an issue. It feels like it's very difficult to get people together in meaningful ways because human resources will say, no, you you can't do that. There's not anybody to be in your classroom, which is a a significant challenge for us at the center for how best to support you all. So if you were to think about professional learning and some of the ways that educators are pushing back, like, hey, we don't really want that kind of professional learning. We want this. And the way compensation, you know, inflation's real. (laughs) The dollar is not going as far as it did three years ago. Um, What is that looking like? How is that contributing to some of the challenges in education now? And then we'll talk about some of the positive things, but where is that becoming a challenge for educators? Um, As far as compensation goes, like teachers do not get paid per hour. And if we did, it'd be a whole different ballgame. Yeah, that's fair. Um, That's fair. And raises, like school districts, just the way that they're funded, just especially in the public school district, just don't have the resources to keep up with inflation. So even if a school district is doing the best they can and recognizes the value of their teachers, they just cannot compensate them accordingly. And so when industry sees a teacher's talent and says, hey, we can compensate you for what value you bring to us, like teachers are having a really hard time saying no to that. Um when you know people that are having to get, when you know educators that are having to get a second or a third job just to make ends meet, um, it, it does make it very, very difficult to stick it out in the classroom when things are very stressful and when maybe you don't feel like you have administrative support and when you feel like you maybe don't have that parent support that you need, then more money does start to look a little bit more appealing. Yeah. And then you can't get professional learning. And then you mentioned talking to an administrator who I believe she's also in the position where she's working extra on the weekend. So this isn't right. just teachers. This is also administrators, right? Right. And you also mentioned a, a statement I hear all the time from great educators is teachers don't go into teaching for the money, which is 
true. But I push back on that. Uh, as educators, we have to stop saying that because that's almost like giving policymakers permission to not pay us very well because good teachers will do it regardless of the money. However, I always say a lot of teachers leave because they can't make enough money to make ends meet. And that's a reality if your family isn't getting fed, isn't getting what they need, or you're having to work two or three jobs. So you're not able to be with your family. You're not able to have any margin to where you can actually enjoy teaching because it's just one of three jobs. That's a problem. So how do you think as a profession, we can overcome some of these challenges around lack of professional learning, school culture that's not healthy, and this compensation issue? What, what ways do you see that maybe we could make some progress against those challenges? I think it's going to take more teacher leaders um, going to the Capitol and saying, look, you we're in the trenches and you're going to listen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we see what happens on a day-to-day basis. We know what's best for our school system. You really need to to lean over here and, and have a good listen to what we've got to say. I think the money's there. It, it's just not distributed appropriately. Um, and I mean, we don't have enough time to get into politics, but I really <laughs> think that's what it's going to take is yeah. more teacher leaders understanding policy and understanding the voice that they do have and saying, look, I don't want to leave this profession because this is the profession that makes all others possible. Well said, Jamie. I want to dig into this and I'm going to, I'm going to stick it out because it's important. This is a valuable job that I've got, but I do have to live. I do have to feed my family. And you're right. Like I, I don't want to have to work so hard at a job that my family is neglected or a second job. And so it is, it's going to take teacher leaders that are like bold enough to find their voice and go fight for it. Yes. Well, I think that's, that is true in so many ways. And there are organizations in Texas that are pushing that. I know raise your hand, Texas, there are other places that are really pushing for this. And I think viewing teaching and administration as a profession is pretty important. And I don't think we're typically thinking of educators that way. I think it's treated as an occupation. It's treated as a, Oh, well, you only have kids this long. You have summers off. You like, if you actually think about it as a profession, it's a very different framing right. of what it is. So what makes you optimistic about what you're seeing? So we've talked about some of the challenges. Uh, you've mentioned the hopefulness of being with colleagues in a meaningful way, understanding what your why is and that there's a deeper calling to what we're doing. Um, so getting away from that isolation, that's hopeful. That's but what cool. other things are you seeing that make you hopeful about where we're at in education right now? I think that more teachers are recognizing that they have a say. Mm. And I think more teachers are leaning into um, leaning into leadership and wanting to really stretch themselves and find different ways that they can really grow their school. Mm. And so I do see that happening in schools all across Texas um, where, where teachers are really, I think picking up momentum, they're, they're tired of being, you know, run over and they're like, you know what, instead of maybe getting angry about this, I'm just going to figure out how I can make a difference. And I think teachers really are trying to do that. And I think um, administrators are shifting the way that they 
view the resources that they have in teachers and allowing um, teachers a little bit more leeway to make those changes happen. I love that. One of the things I think educators need to do is really advocate for the profession and talk about the important work that we do. I think sometimes teachers think out of humility, I don't want to talk about the amazing things that are going on in my classroom. And so I'm trying to help educators reframe that as like, what do you see being done through you in the lives of students? How can you brag about what kids are doing? Not because of you, but you're getting to walk alongside them and catalyze that growth. So you've had a lot of experience in schools as a teacher and as a coach. Um, Do you have an example of a way that you've seen amazing things happening in a kid's life that you've been able to be a part of in some small way? Um, I, I've got a, a million stories. I've been in the classroom a long time. I recently got the call from one of my old students. Um, she graduated high school about five years ago, and we have a unique situation. I was her Sunday school teacher. I was her soccer coach. I also had her in class. So it's one of those small town situations where I just saw her everywhere. And we've been on several mission trips together as well. And I think when you build those relationships with your, your kiddos, like some of those relationships are lifelong and you maintain those. Like we've all been to weddings. We've all been to, you know, baby showers of kids that we've had in class. Um, And she called me about, I guess it was five months ago to let me know that she got into medical school. Wow. And that was like a huge thing. Like I had walked her through that whole process. Um, she didn't have the greatest home life and I was able to give her that support and that prayer, like always that she needed to, to get to that next step and to be brave enough to try it. Um, and then a week after she got into medical school, she called me back and let me know that her dad had only been given seven months to live. Oh, wow. Um, and so when we put ourselves into those positions with our students and we, we are able to be that kind of mentor to them, it opens the door for us to walk them through some of the hardest times in their lives. Yeah, well, it's such a life-giving example. And I love the fact that going back to earlier in our conversation, you felt like you'd been called to go into the medical field mm. and then God said, no, this is where, this is the mission field you're going to be on. And not that she replaces you in that field, but how your impact is multiplied mm. through the work that the Lord does through you in the lives of these students who then go on to medical school and these amazing things. And you're that anchor, you're that foundation for someone who's, she's, you know, knowing that your father is, is going to pass soon. That's a challenge. And even years after you've had her in class, there's still this connection that you have because of the layers of relationship you have as a coach, as a teacher and the mission trips that you've been on. That's, I mean, that's a, a huge blessing and it's why our profession is such a blessing to be a part of when we don't lose sight of what is being done through us, not because of us, but being done through us in the lives of our students. So this, these next four questions are typically, I consider these are lightning round questions where you answer them in a word, a phrase, a sentence. So we'll see how you, how you do with this. Really curious about this first one because I get the same answer on this one a lot. But what's the worst piece of advice you've ever received? And then you can follow that up with the best piece. The worst piece of advice I've ever received is not to talk about God to my students. Oh, wow. 
Wow. Okay. Okay. Best piece of advice? To talk about God to my Uh, students. Okay. So, and you've been in public schools the whole time, Mm -hmm. correct? So, this is anti-lightning round thing, but I didn't know that's where you were going to go. And I think there's this critical component, especially when you're working with high school students, Mm -hmm. where they're going to find out what makes you tick. Elementary kids do too. I mean, I think the fact that we think we can pull the wool over the kid's eyes, I I think kindergartners can expose you right away. They know your heart. And so, when you say that, you're in a public school, which by definition is an open forum, where we don't check religion at the door. We just respect all the different religions or lack of religion that comes in. So, when you say you tell kids about God, um, what do you mean by that? I'm assuming you're not up preaching the gospel, proselytizing from the front of the class, and you're supposed to be teaching math. So, what do you mean by tell students about God? And then we'll jump to our last two lightning round questions. Um, I've always tried to really be sensitive to God's leading in that, um, and I've always let the kids ask the questions, and if the kids ask the questions, I'll absolutely be ready for, or with an answer. Um and just following that that principle, like God opens that door all the time because kids, they want to know why I care about them. They want to know why I do, you know, always have a smile on my face, even if they know I'm having a tough time. They want to know why I do have joy or why I am hopeful. And so when you when you walk out your faith and when you're authentic with them, um, they're going to ask you about it. Yeah. And I also like they know, and I will do this out loud on a regular basis, if they are pushing those buttons, because you're right, they do, and they'll push those buttons. If they're pushing the buttons, I'll just stand up at the front of the class, and they know that Mrs. Corson is having a moment with Jesus. (laughs) And I'll just close my eyes, and they know that I'm saying a prayer, so nothing is thrown across the room. And I've had, because they know I'm having my moment with Jesus, I've had kids in the past come up to me after class and say, do you ever pray for me? Oh, wow. And so, it's just, even those silly little moments, like, yeah, yeah I'm really praying, so I don't hurt a kid. Um, <laughs> but those little moments, like, open up all kinds yeah. of doors. And so, it's just been yeah. a wonderful experience when you're authentic in your faith and you just live that out. Kids see that and recognize it, and they're the questions are going to come. Yeah. And when you're an excellent educator and the kids know you care about them, that's when they want to know why. Yeah. And so, that relationship is so key, especially with high school kids. Those are rich conversations. And I think in a world that doesn't always believe in capital T truths, it's my truth, your truth, their truth, Mm -hmm. whatever, they're looking for something to anchor to. And so, when they see someone who has this deep abiding joy, even when things aren't always happy, there's there's a joyfulness to it. They want to know what makes that person tick, and that's the time we really need to share and let them know that there is real hope. And so I think that's 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 beautiful. All right, the last two questions: uh, If you were to describe schools right now, or your high school specifically, let's pick your high school. What is one word that you would use to describe schools, or maybe the way students see school right now? I think students really see school right now is irrelevant. They feel like there's, especially since virtual learning, they're like, you know what? I can, anything I need, I can YouTube it. I can look it up. I can find it. And so it's been really hard to 
redirect kids and let them know that there's still value in being in the classroom. Mm. Yeah. So irrelevant. That is a tough word yeah. to take. So five years from now, if you were the queen of the world or queen of the education world, what would be the word you would like students to use to describe school? I'm going to sit in that queen of the education world for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, I just think, I just want them to think that it's necessary, mm-hmm. that there's, it's valuable, I think right. would be my, the uh, better word is valuable. Yeah. That's even better than relevant. So I was thinking the opposite of irrelevant would be relevant. That would be good, but valuable. Wow. Yeah. Because it is a gift. And I think you see parts of the world where kids don't have access to an education and we just take it for granted sometimes here. And that's really sad because it's not about getting knowledge. It's about gaining wisdom. And that's the difference between looking something up on your phone or going through chat GPT and actual wisdom. There's a big difference there. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and insights with us, Jamie. This is a huge blessing to have you here. So thank you for your time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jamie. I love the way she ended that where we want students to not see school as irrelevant, but as valuable. And I think that's really where we can help spur the imagination of our students for who they can become and what education can be like. And even as she talked about sharing God and what that looks like in a public school, again, uh, schools in the United States are meant not meant to be places that are devoid of faith. They are to welcome all different faiths and perspectives. And when students ask why we care about them so deeply and why we do what we do, we are compelled to share why. That is not proselytizing. That is not an inappropriate use of our role as educators. That's us coming alongside and offering the encouragement that comes as we help them become all they're created to be. Have a great week in the profession that makes all others possible. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. 